0: Now at Top Golf, you get half off golf Monday through Wednesday when you book in the app. It could be any Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Like this Monday, next Tuesday, and the following Wednesday. Or maybe this Wednesday, next Tuesday, and the Monday after that. Basically, any Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday is a good day, as long as you spend it at Topgolf. It's golf. It's half off. It's half off golf. Monday through Wednesday when you book in the app for a limited time only. So download the Topgolf app, book a bay, and come play around. Restrictions and exclusions may apply. Visit topgolf.com slash half off golf for details.
1: 18 years from tonight...
2: news headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sowing division it's brian Kilmead
3: hey it's actually jason chaffetz fired up and filling in today for uh, brian Kilmead he's taking a little personal day i understand it you may be doing that as well this uh in between the the weekend and uh one of the best holidays we have in this country fourth of july that's coming up i hope you and your loved ones your family or whatever you're doing or if you're out there by yourself you're just enjoying it because uh it's a good time in america we we got all kinds of problems we got all kinds of challenges no doubt about it but you know what america has always figured out how to get past them they just we figure it out as an american people and even though you see all these you know people doing some stupid stuff because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. Um, We figure it out. And uh, this is a great venue, a great way to talk through what is the heart of America, right? The heart of America is the First Amendment, the ability to talk through these issues. And uh, so we're going to tackle some of the biggest issues facing the country, what people are talking about, what's on their mind. So thanks for joining us on the, the Brian Kilmeade Show here. Uh, we're going to kick things off talking a little bit about the FBI, the Department of Justice, Hunter Biden. You can't get past this because it may be one of the biggest, most scandalous things we've ever seen in American government, certainly from a president and former vice president of the United States. So to kick things off, we're going to bring in a John Ian Arelli, He's a retired FBI special agent. He was an executive staff member of the FBI's cyber division. He was on the SWAT team. The guy basically knows what he's talking about. John, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good
4: morning, Jason. Happy Fourth of July.
3: Yes, fired up about that. Um, You know, a lot of news, a lot of new pictures, um, and a lot of controversy about what the FBI did and did not pursue. How far did they take it? Did they not take it? There's just a lot of people out there feeling like, that Hunter Biden got a slap on the wrist, got the minimum of what you could possibly get, and the creativity that the Department of Justice came up in the charging documents that they actually have. In fact, so much so now that some people are suggesting that the judge reject the plea deal. Uh, give us your perspective. What do, what do you see going on in this case?
4: It's definitely unusual. I am seen far less be prosecuted, far more. Let's remember, though, however, the FBI, we investigate crime, but it's the Department of Justice that directs the FBI what to do. And they're the ones that ultimately decide what's going to be prosecuted, what's going to be charged. The FBI has no say in that. So we have to look at. Wait, wait, stop right there, John.
3: Stop right there. All right. The F. I mean, I know technically the FBI has no say in it. But a prosecutor is going to come sit down with the lead FBI or, or all the FBI agents and and hear what case they have, right? And they're, and a good prosecutor is actually involved and engaged with law enforcement as the case is going on. It's not as if all of a sudden there was a car crash and, you know, hey, they had to go deal with it. This has been investigated for years. the The, the, the prosecuting attorney doesn't just show up at the finish line and say, hey, show me what you got, right?
4: You're absolutely right, but let's be clear on this. For the FBI to do an investigation, the federal prosecutor first has to give you permission to do that investigation. Then along the way, everything you want, any search warrant, any subpoena, all has to be authorized and approved by the United States Attorney's Office. The prosecution report is put together by the FBI and presented, and then it's up to the Department of Justice to decide what they want to do. On a much lesser level, I had many cases that I worked hard on for a year only to present it and say, you know what, we're going to decline prosecution. And so it does happen. However, in this case, it's so high profile, you would think that it would be given more consideration. Frankly, I'm surprised at how little is being done in this matter.
3: Yeah, let's let's go to a, a clip. This is Gary uh, Shapley. He's the whistleblower. Um, He was on special report with Brett Baer last week. Let's listen to this clip number three. I didn't learn
2: that fact until October 7th of 2022. So looking back to March of 2022. And that's when David Weiss in October 7th, 2022 said that the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office will not allow us to charge there. And then he added that he would request special He requested special counsel authority and was denied in that meeting. I even had him repeat that because I knew how important that fact was and i wanted to make sure i understood it
3: i mean this is the concern right Um, on the one hand you have the attorney general saying oh no they have free reign to do whatever you have the president saying i've never had a discussion with them about it yet when you hear the person who's actually doing the investigation in this case the irs as opposed to the fbi they they he wasn't allowed to do that so somebody's not telling the truth right
4: We have heard the mantra for years that it should be equal justice under the law, which is one of the reasons they've looked at the former president so much that everybody needs to be treated the same. Here though, we see someone getting very special treatment for a variety of issues. The uh, throwing the gun away issue, for example, filing for a gun permit in violation of what the application laws are, and on and on with all the other much more significant issues. It's concerning, Jason, because we do want every citizen in this country to be held to a similar standard.
3: Well, and that that is the issue. Now, Yesterday, on Sunday, I was uh, honored to guest host uh, for Maria Bartiromo on Sunday Morning Futures. And the guest was John Ratcliffe. And, And Ratcliffe is really interesting because not only is he the former director of national intelligence, our senior most intelligence person in the country, but he's also a former U.S. prosecutor. He's a former U.S. attorney. Um, as well as a member of former member of Congress. That's how I got to know him. Let's listen to clip number four on his take about the overall problem here, and then I want to get your reaction.
5: The two easiest cases to prosecute in Washington, D.C. are the gun and tax crimes against Hunter Biden, which which have resulted in no felony recommendations. It underscores the disparity that we're seeing. And it's really why, you know, I think the next president is is really going to have to do more than just replace the attorney general and the FBI director, but really turn these entities inside out and address the cultural problem that has existed ever since um, uh, Eric Holder said that he was Barack Obama's wingman and began to embed partisans throughout um, the FBI and the Department of Justice. And I, and I think, you know, to identify this as a small problem is a mistake. It's a it's a cultural problem. It's not a one off issue. We're seeing it over and over again where there is a disparity of treatment in um, uh, within the Department of Justice.
3: John, how do we how do we fix this?
4: He raises some great points, and I would have to agree. We do have some cultural issues. It all starts with leadership. Back in the day when I was in the FBI, you weren't even allowed to discuss politics. Literally, it was forbidden because we were supposed to be absolutely agnostic. Same thing in the Department of Justice, but now we see people – Openly expressing political views and political favoritism. We need a change of leadership in many positions, not just the FBI, but Department of Justice. And we need to go back to those rules where your job is to enforce the law, regardless of what political party a person may be a member of.
3: You know, my uh, my grandfather, uh, at Mac Chief, it's was a career uh, FBI. Agent. He was at least there for a long period of time. I don't know whether you call it a career, but he was there for a long period of time. Served uh, in Washington D.C. Served in Philadelphia area. Uh, I was very proud of that. But I got to tell you, even with those ties and that love of the G-men and the FBI and what they've done through the years, I, I so lack, lack the confidence that they're actually going to get the job done. And I used to be able to say, oh, I think it's just a few rogue people at the top of the food chain that, you know, there's a couple that are doing this. But I don't think so anymore. I think there is such a deep-seated cultural problem embedded into that organization that the political nature of how they pursue cases, don't pursue other ones. um, I just don't, I, I think I represent a lot of people And a lot of people have the same opinion that 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 difference depends on your political persuasion, and it's so fundamentally wrong. You're right. It is fundamentally wrong.
4: I am in touch with a lot of onboard active duty agents, and I can assure you the vast majority of the men and women in the FBI want to do their job. But the problem is going to be always at the top, the leadership, not just the director, but senior supervisors all throughout the bureau who have to hold agents accountable and make sure that they're directing them to do proper things. And that does start at the top, the messaging from the director. We do need a change in leadership at the FBI. You are going to find people who want to do their job. you got to empower people to do the right thing as well, instead of pushing them into political directions. I think that's what we're seeing a lot of right now.
3: Yeah, you know, I'd look at the inspector general, have a great deal of respect for um, uh, Michael Horowitz. Um, He's been there for a while now. Um, He oversees nearly 500 people, but he's issued more than a thousand pages, highly critical of the Department of Justice and specifically the FBI. Multiple times, more than a dozen times through his reporting, he has made uh, referrals to the Department of Justice for potential criminal and disciplinary issues, and almost nothing ever happens. And, and John, you, you've had a long, great career, people like you who served honor, honorably in the, in the FBI, but I don't see anybody ever getting prosecuted for those that actually do do the wrong things. Now, Kevin Kleinsmith had a plea deal where he forged documents to effect an election by getting this FISA warrant, and he ends up getting, like, probation, didn't even lose his law license after forgery. I mean, it's just unbelievable how, how out of balance this is.
4: It's amazing. You're absolutely right. I remember as an FBI I was an attorney in the FBI and with other attorneys we'd have conversations of what the repercussions would be if hypothetically Evelyn, anyone ever changed a document for accuracy and we kind of laughed because we knew no one would ever even think of doing something right. like that because of the honor integrity of being an agent but we talked about there would be serious repercussions in prison time for doing such Again, here we have an administration involving our DOJ that is taking a different view of these things. They're the ones that decide how to handle these matters. And it also sets a very bad precedent. One person is given a pass. Other people in the future may think, I'll be given a pass as well. We need to set the bar where it should be. You have to be held to a standard, no politics involved. Get back to doing the job of protecting the American people, Jason. I know that's what the agents want to do. We need some change in leadership to make sure it's done.
6: Yeah,
3: it, it's going to take yeah more than just changing out a director or something. I I look at who's in, who's in charge of counterintelligence and the ten thousand you know Peter struck you know uh, email or text messages going back with you know back and forth with somebody else in the agency who's you know supposedly having a little some relations with, uh, supposedly, Uh, at least that was the allegation, Uh, these types of things. And then the way everybody hears the Democrats saying, oh, well, you know, equal, everybody's treated the same and you got to do this and that. But then guess what? Hunter Biden gets the most creative case ever in terms of is what John Ratcliffe pointed out. Uh, you know, a, a gun case, and uh, nobody's been charged like that before. So, anyway, uh one of the good guys out there, John Iannarelli, thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We do appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jason, and everyone out there, have a great Fourth of July. I uh, appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back. Stay with us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
7: This episode is brought to you by CoverGirl. Put the power of plants to work for your lashes with Lash Blast Clean Topia Mascara, now available in a new ultramarine black shade. This plant-powered, clean, vegan mascara delivers up to 300% more volume than bare lashes and brighter, more wide-awake-looking eyes thanks to ultramarine pigments for an intense black shade with hints of blue. Lash Blast Clean Topia Mascara, only from easy, breezy, beautiful CoverGirl.
2: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: This was a reckless, cowardly act of violence uh, that has taken two lives and altered uh, many, many more. And as I said earlier, we will uh, find those who are responsible and we will not stop until we do so.
3: That is Baltimore uh, Mayor uh, Brandon Scott uh, talking about some of the violence that was happening in Baltimore uh, just over the weekend. Um, In Chicago, uh, there were roughly 30 people shot, three dead, um, and the violence continues. I mean, we could do this story, uh, probably should do this story, every week. How a city continues to have the type of -of out-of-control violence and guns just blazing everywhere. Now, look, I'm a huge Second Amendment advocate. I have guns myself, I have handguns, shotguns, rifles. I mean I I I believe in it. I I, I live it. I shoot. I like it. Um and it's my constitutional right as a law abiding American citizen to have those guns. But there are far too many who don't use guns properly that um just never see the consequences of the violence that is used in the, how it uh, affects people. You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, we need more gun control. We need to... you know what? Stop telling me about what everybody needs to do. Who is a law abiding citizen. Why don't you go after the people that are actually breaking the law in the case of Hunter Biden was when he lies on the forms because of his current state of mind at the time that he fills it out and he gets this, like not even slap on the wrist, I mean, one of the most creative charges at the Department of Justice, then don't tell me, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and everybody else, about how tough you want to be on guns and that you need new bans on this sort of, you know, these types of guns when your own son violates the law and you get this sweetheart plea deal. It just takes all the air out of the balloon. It's just, there's no consequence. And you know what? There are so many systemic problems that lead to the types of violence that we see in Chicago. So they have press conferences. The mayors will say nice things and, oh, we need to get after it. They're not one gun law away from solving the problems there in Chicago and Baltimore. There are more guns in this country than there are people in this country. So you have to have consequences for this type of illegal activity. If you use guns in the commission of a crime, if you prosecute those cases. But a lot of prosecutors, if they came in here and they were honest with you, these gun laws are not fully enforced. They're just not. They're not on the vice on the president's son, and they're not prosecuted on other cases. And if you're not going to go and talk about fatherless homes, if you're not going to go and talk about the, the, the decline of marriage in this country, you're not going to get to the systemic problem that so many of the, our youth run into. Because you know what? We have a lot of young people who turn to gangs. They turn to street violence in these big big cities. And when you have little things like shoplifting, it's not such a little thing, everybody. Because those are the types of things. And Rudy Giuliani, despite the controversy that he's having right now, he and Ray Kelly and others, they understood this in new york when they had the peak of the violence and the problems in new york you break a window you jump a turnstile you do something guess what that's the precursor to doing something more aggressive and if you unless you get after it and and hold the line and do it community by community corner by corner and enforce law we're going to continue to have these problems I hope you stay with us. We got a lot more to talk about, including coming up Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. We'll be right back on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Fair Health for older adults understands that healthcare decisions are life changing decisions strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. Fair Health for Older Adults. Healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. If you're looking for plump lips at last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all gel fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit www.juvederm.com.
2: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade, and uh, I want to get right after it with our next guest because he's one of my favorite people on the planet, and I'm honored that he would join us today. Uh, The Lieutenant Colonel Allen West from Texas. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, absolutely, Jason. It's a great pleasure
6: to hear your voice, and happy Independence Day, my dear friend.
3: Well, thank you, and thanks for your service to our country. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got a rich and storied... uh, career in the military um and and i want to highlight the good the strong but before i get to that um there was this report that came out that was uh pretty stark in terms of its uh, criticism regarding afghanistan and Mm -hmm. um i want to get your top line thoughts and reaction to the the afghanistan report that was put out
6: Well, you know, I spent two and a half years over there in Afghanistan, and it's a funny thing. I'm reading a a book by Stephen Pressfield called *The Afghan Campaigns*, which looks at Alexander the Great's campaign uh, back in Afghanistan, about two and a half years worth. And it's just amazing to me how we don't study history, we learn the lessons thereof. Because in reading that book about Alexander's campaign in Afghanistan, it was directly reflective to our faults and our failures and shortcomings in Afghanistan. You know, we have to get beyond. Uh, trying to have this nation-building perspective and thinking that we can turn everyone into a democracy, but just making sure that we deny uh, the enemy to have sanctuaries. But what really guts and hurts me about Afghanistan is that you know the men and women who lost limbs lost their comrades brothers and sisters of ours uh all for naught because the exact same people that we took off the battlefield we put right back in in charge we left them countless amounts of uh of uh, our equipment And uh, I think that this has been what has caused a, a huge decline in the trust and confidence our allies have in us and our national security and foreign policy position. And that's why you see China, Russia, Iran and others being encouraged by the faux pas and the absolute disastrous exit that we did from Afghanistan. So there is so much fault out there and the fact that no one, Jason, has, you know, taken responsibility to include the Commander-in-Chief, Secretary of Defense, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, right. and resigned over this is appalling.
3: That's true. There is no accountability at the top. They had the ability to do it or not do it, and that for mm-hmm. them to kind of wash their hands of it not take responsibility for it is, I mean, it's, it's just cowardice. And it's just wrong. Yeah. And, and it, there's nothing that, America can look at and be proud of. And the the number of weapons that we left behind, it's Mm -hmm. the people that were killed, probably the most important thing. But those same weapons are going to be left to fight Americans.
6: Yeah, not just fight Americans, and we saw the Taliban parading with them, but also uh, some of that is going to be given over to the Chinese, and they're going to do the reverse engineering and try to figure out the technology. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, Bagram Air Base, which was an incredible uh, forward-positioned base, I mean, we turned it over, and now the Chinese have their eyes on it, and it uh, looks like they'll be able to occupy it, and, and again, they will uh, be able to, you know, exploit that that what we have done. And even more so from uh, another aspect, all the m- raw materials and minerals there in Afghanistan, that's going to be in the hands of the Chinese. And so to me, it's ludicrous that the left wants to force us to buy electric vehicles, which only puts more money in the hands of the Chinese, yeah. which means it puts more money in the hands of the People's Liberation Army of, of China.
3: You know, I was amazed. Look, you, you served there and had your life on the line for a long period of time. I, I went there a couple of times um, mm-hmm. for a few days. But I remember getting there and having a briefing about, okay, what kind of natural resources do they have? And then they'll point to the map and they'll say, well, there's you know, one of the world's biggest copper mines here. And mm-hmm. when you get into the details, it wasn't employing any local Afghans. They The Chinese owned it. They brought in their own labor. Mm-hmm. And then they extracted it and took all the resources away. Yeah. And, and with no... And the Americans just kinda of said, Yeah, that's okay.
6: Yeah, it's part of that one uh that belt one belt, one road strategy, belt and road strategy of the Chinese where they go over and they exploit so many countries for the natural resources. I mean they're pretty much so raping uh Africa right now. And yeah. you know, the country really doesn't get anything back from it. But you start to look at what they're doing, I mean looking at putting a base in Cuba. Uh, the fact that they're rebuilding uh, the port facilities in Athens, uh, we have got to realize that economically first, we must slow down the Chinese Communist Party. But yet, we continue to want to increase their uh, their economic prowess. When you have people like Jamie Dimon going over there, or Elon Musk going over there, uh, they should be looking at how they can extract themselves from the Communist Chinese party and that country. Uh, we should not have supply chains, especially medical supply chains that are going through China. So we should be thinking about ways we can economically isolate China and not uh, prop them up. And uh, that really does start with a lot of the raw materials that they're pulling out. And, you know, we shouldn't be uh, you know, pushing batteries and electric vehicles and having electric vehicle plants over there uh, that help them out more than anything else.
3: Well, it, you know, China is on the march, and they mm-hmm. are a major, major problem and adversary of the United States. Um, I believe we have a cut that is of uh, Congressman um Mark Green. He's the congressman from uh, uh, Texas. I'm sorry, from Tennessee. Tennessee, mm-hmm. Tennessee yeah. And uh, he did a press conference uh, a little while ago um, and talked about what was going on with China in Cuba, but also, uh, you know, what they're moving and doing in terms of flowing people across our southern border. Let's go to that clip.
8: We already yes. know that there's a Chinese listening station just across 90 miles of ocean in Cuba. That frustrates the American people, just like the spy balloon frustrated Americans. How about 10,000 Chinese nationals illegally crossing into the United States, being released into our country this fiscal year?
3: Glad to hear him fired up, but 10,000
6: Chinese flown across our border, those are just the ones we know about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, you know, these are a large part single military-aged males. And what do I mean by that? Anywhere from like 17 up to 35 years of age, why are single mm-hmm. military-aged males coming into the United States of America from China and being released? And the, the cartels, when you are, you know, from other countries outside of this hemisphere especially, uh, the price tag goes up. So we're talking about anywhere from 15000 to 30000 that these Chinese- Nationals are being charged. Where are they getting this money from? And yeah. you cannot tell me that people just pick up and leave China uh, in this type of number, and the Chinese aren't tracking it. I mean, they've got police stations here in the United States, of America that are tracking, you know, operations and movements. So I am very concerned from a domestic security aspect. The the amount of single military age males, foreign nationals, not just, you know, from Central America, South America, but from China and other places that we're allowing to this country, we're setting ourselves up for something that very bad could happen.
3: Yeah, you know, it only takes one or a couple of them, 10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the fentanyl problem. We have the yes. the human trafficking problems. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I do not feel... Like our counterintelligence operations are up to the task in getting it done. You know, one of the things that really bothered me about Peter Strzok there at the FBI and everything that was happening uh, in their insatiable desire to get Trump at all cost, is that our counterintelligence operators uh, operatives were taking their eye off the ball of China because mm-hmm. we have an untold number of spies, not just spies on on government, on the military, but also corporate spies that are coming in and stealing our intellectual property. Yeah. And this this major surge of people, if you look at who's, um, you know, we educate them and then we send them back to China and make China stronger. I just yeah. don't understand what the Biden-Harris administration thinks they're doing to push back on that. In fact, I think they're doing quite the opposite. I think they're encouraging it, opening up our borders,
6: and tacitly approving this by allowing this to continue. Well, there—it's not just the Biden administration. There's a complete selling out of the United States of America for to the Chinese Communist Party. I give you a great case of point here. We just finished up our 88th legislative session here in Texas. It occurs every other year back at the end of May. And uh, they were more so at the end worrying about impeaching uh, Attorney General Kim Paxton than passing a piece of legislation that would have prevented China from buying up land here in the state of Texas. So, yes, here in the state of Texas with a Republican legislature and a Republican governor, we could not pass legislation to stop China from purchasing land. So I think that a lot of people are just frustrated overall when we don't see our elected officials standing up to this. And, you know, China has killed more people because of the fentanyl originates in China. They've killed more people in the United States of America over the past, what, two and a half years, over 100,000, than we lost in the Korean and Vietnam Wars combined. Okay. Wow. And, and that wow. should strike the American people as, as we're getting ready to talk about Independence Day tomorrow. We're losing our independence. We're losing our sovereignty. Uh, when you have your border wide open, you don't have a sovereign nation. So we should be reflecting back on this and that in 247 years, how did we get to this point where we are allowing the undermining of this constitutional republic?
3: It is stunning. All right. I want to add, like I, I said at the beginning, I want to end on a more positive note. You,
6: you Absolutely.
3: You, you, your wife, who I know uh, well, uh, you got a beautiful, wonderful family. And you have served this nation. And as we go into 4th of July, you know, I always try to say to people, it's not just 4th of July. It's not just Memorial Day. It's not just Flag Mm -hmm. Day. This is the way we should be living as an American people. But when you see the flag, when they do those flyovers, when they, you know, when there's a parade, that sort of thing, when you think of the United States of America, what does it mean to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West?
6: Well, it's an honor uh, that I am a, a, a part of a lineage of men and women who have stood up and taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America, that we have been willing to put our lives on the line. And personally, in our family, uh, my dad served in World War II. My older brother served as a Marine in Vietnam. I did 22 years myself. My nephew uh, is a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, uh, Herman Bernard West III. He just took command of an artillery battalion up at uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, something I did 21 years ago. My wife's dad served 24 years. Uh, Both of my son-in-laws are soldiers. So what it means to me when I see the flag is that that is the thing that will drape over my coffin. That is what draped over my dad's coffin, my father-in-law's coffin, my mother's coffin because she served 25 years civilian service with for the Marine Corps headquarters in Atlanta. That's what it means to me. And, and I get teary-eyed. And I get a little uh, choked up when I think about the 56 men who signed that incredible thing we call the Declaration of Independence that we'll celebrate tomorrow.
3: Well, I can't thank you enough, and people like you that have uh, answered that call to serve, you step up, you serve your nation. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, honored to have you on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for joining us.
6: Thanks, my friend, Jason. You take care, and you have a lovely family as well.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Really do appreciate it. We'll be back with more on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Stay
8: with us.
2: Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Well, almost Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Uh, honored to do so. Um, I w- wanted to mention, uh, shamelessly here, uh, I have a new book out. It's called The Puppeteers. The people that control the people that control America. And The Puppeteers, um, i, I, I got to tell you, it gets in-depth in terms of the flow of money and the control. So when you look at Kamala Harris, when you look at Joe Biden, I think most people understand these people are not calling the shots and making things happen. So who who are those puppeteers? Who are the people that are behind the scenes? And what I did in the puppeteers book is really follow the flow of money. And uh, I would encourage you, if you want to understand how Washington, D.C. really works, um, you know, one of the things I figured out along the way, and it took me a while, is that, you know, you elect a new president, you elect new members of Congress, new senators, and then you look back and you think, wait, why didn't things change? What happened? And there is this permanency of government that is, uh, it permeates throughout government. And it's a very concerted effort behind the scenes to to, uh, put levers in place so that no matter who's in charge, those people continue to run America. Um, I would encourage you to look today at the Wall Street Journal if you're really into this. Obviously, get the Puppeteer's book. But number two, uh, Wall Street Journal has um, an op-ed. It's called Joe Biden's $400 billion man. And as I talk about in the Puppeteer's book, the Inflation Reduction Act, okay, which was September of 2022, was not the Inflation Reduction Act. If you recall, Senator Markey from Massachusetts and AOC and the squad and all that, they were behind a Green New Deal. And then they rolled that out. Pretty much everybody laughed at it because there's no way they could ever muster up even close to the amount of uh, votes that were going to be needed in order to pass the Green New Deal. So what they did is they decided to, oh, let's let's just do some wordplay here. And the, quote, unquote, Inflation Reduction Act was a great way to do it. Hey, hyperinflation, uh, Biden and the Democrats institute their policies, inflation zooming, now everybody's worried about that, so we're going to fight that. Well, they fought it by creating a $370 billion slush fund for their Green New Deal. It's run by John Podesta, and it is an unbelievable amount of money. Now, you combine that with other programs that the government has control of. They get funded by, in addition to this, and that's where you look at the Energy Department's loan program, and they have $400 billion, your money, my money, taxpayers' money, to go out and invest. Now, we all heard about Solyndra, right, under Barack Obama. They had a few billion dollars. This is just blows it out of the water again all under the guise of the inflation reduction act but you know what these people they, these are the puppeteers when they want to go get something done and they have this many hundreds of billions of dollars it, they as the wall street journal points out uh they have 150 companies seeking 127.7 billion dollars in loans everybody from like general motors to you know some big big energy companies um, or, you know, that are in the battery space and whatnot that are trying to go out. Ford looking to, you know, a joint venture making batteries in Tennessee and Kentucky looking at $9.2 billion. and then a whole bunch of companies you've never heard before. Folks, this is not the proper role of government. This is not where government belongs. And so when we hear about paying $2 billion a day just in interest on our national debt, when we're $31 trillion in debt, It's this kind of garbage and crap that goes out the door with your taxpayer money. That's not the proper role of government. Provide us basic services, law enforcement, military, those types of things. But don't be the investor. Why should people have to go to John Podesta and put him in control? He's one of the puppeteers. That's why I wrote the puppeteer's book. Highlighted in the Wall Street Journal today. Not the puppeteer's book, but the issue in general. Hope you're able to look into it. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
3: hey this is jason javits i'm filling in for brian so you know when you talk about the most approachable host in radio please when he's at the beach or something like that go up and just start snapping pictures i know how much he would love doing that so when you get those pictures of uh, Brian Kilmeade out in the wild, uh, send them to us here at Fox News Radio. We would love to see those pictures out and about. But he's taken a much-deserved day off, and maybe you are as well. Thanks for joining us on this show. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Again, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in. For Brian, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. There's so many things going on right in this uh, kind of extended 4th of July uh, weekend. So thanks for joining us. And uh, we want to kick off this hour by talking uh, to one of our favorites, uh, Michael Goodwin, a New York Post columnist. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: Good morning, Jason, and uh, yes, I agree with you about Brian taking time off. I mean, he's the hardest-working man in uh, the media,
3: so uh, I'm sure he deserves a break. It's kind of outside his DNA. The guy, like, has to work, like, all the time. I know. And so I'm thinking that, uh, you know— he's got kids and I'm, I'm glad he's uh, hopefully spending some time with them, but I can't imagine that he's actually resting. I don't think that's actually going to happen. <laughs> he, he's not going to, he's probably writing a book, you know, he's got a gr- great series of books and he's probably doing that or I don't know what he's doing, but yeah, that, that motor doesn't stop. It does not stop. Hey, you've got another call out. You, you're one of the best writers out there. I'd love your Love your stuff. Um, and this time you're talking about the Supreme court ruling. So tell us your thesis and. Sure, give us some thoughts
10: well look i'm i'm hardly a, a legal scholar but uh you don't have to be i think to to gather the importance of the especially the final rulings of the term the uh, the affirmative action case the student loan uh rollback and um of course the uh the web designer in colorado who did not want to make a Designed for um, uh, uh, to celebrate a gay wedding. Um, look, I, I think that for me, the overriding theme of these cases is that the court is stating so clearly what the Constitution is about, and it is ultimately uh, the default position of the Constitution is individual liberty. It is not government power, it's not group power, group rights, it's individual. And right. so I think in each of these cases, uh you can see that thread. And I, I thought the uh the opinions were exceptional in this case. I, I, I thought uh you know, Roberts on the student loan, I thought uh, Gorsuch on the uh on the um, uh affirmative action and, and the um uh, the um case in Colorado. I mean, I, I, I just think that uh, they are expressing the fundamental truth of the Constitution, of our founding principles, and, you know, even the Declaration. But to judge from the critics of these rulings, they don't understand the founding principles, or they don't like them, one or the other. But to, to denounce uh, the say, the, the Colorado web designer, that she is now free to discriminate, what, what the court said is she has a First Amendment right, and she has a, a free speech right, and that, that that right cannot be coerced. She can't be forced to say something that is against her values. It's not on the basis of religion, per se, it's just that she does not want to say this, and you can't force her to say that. I mean, that would seem pretty terrific and pretty important for all Americans. But, but to denounce it, particularly in the media, where the people who work in the media, basically their occupation depends on the First Amendment. Right, and they are right. denouncing a First Amendment ruling because they don't like the politics of it. Well, the court is not about the politics of it, much as the Democrats want to make it so. It's about the Constitution.
3: Well, but the, you remember, you're getting criticism from people who worship at the altar of big government and in, in big control. I mean that—that's what these people preach. They like. They want to be able to dictate. And those—and this has always kind of gotten to me. But you know, the the, these people that that preach diversity at the top of their lungs. The moment you disagree with them, they are the first to say (laughs) you better get in line.
10: Yeah, you can. uh, Diversity is about uh, everything except opinion. And uh, that—that's where you—that's <laughs> that's, that's where they you draw the line. But look, I think—I think for Independence Day, uh, these rulings are a fantastic gift to America. They are a reminder. They are a breath of fresh air. That uh, w- we do not live in a socialist state. We live in a free state. We live in, with free individuals. I, I think it was—I think it was a terrific outcome. And of course, it must be said, the six to three margin um, is really where the court is. Six, you know, six yeah. constitutional judges and and three others who want the government to have all the power and who want to dictate what you can say. And I think the contrast in this in these final cases was
3: as stark as it's ever been. Yeah,
6: on the, I, on the I agree court with everything. Itself.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. I. Uh, I want to play this montage. These are some of the more progressive um, people. I guess they call them progressives. I never quite understood that word or that tag. But uh, uh, Representative Iana Presley, the Democrat from Massachusetts, uh, Congressman Ted Lieu out of Southern California, and then, of course, AOC. So let's go to cut. 12. This uh, far-right extremist imbalanced Supreme Court, which seeks to make history for all the wrong reasons. Um, This is, if they were a caucus in Congress, they would be the bootstrapper, forced birth, uh, don't say gay, Uh, Caucus.
2: I support expanding the Supreme Court because we have a radical, extreme supermajority on Supreme Court that is out of touch with the American public.
0: I believe, frankly, that we really need to be having conversations about judicial review um, as a check on the courts as well. There also must be impeachment on the table. We have a broad level of tools to deal with misconduct, overreach, and abuse of power.
3: Wow. Uh those are some pretty strong <laughs> allegations, Michael. Yeah.
10: Yeah. I'd like to hear uh some reporter ask if Joe Biden supports those ideas. Uh that because that that really is the the sh- the shock troop of the Democratic Party right there. Uh, yeah. When you hear them talk that way, that's where this party is going. Remember it wasn't so long ago that uh Joe Biden was supporting statehood for uh for D.C. uh, and Puerto Rico, that would uh, reshape the the Senate, which would then reshape the court. Uh, They're talking about adding seats on the court. When they don't get their way, you know, then the whole system is broken. And that's how the left looks at the American founding principles. It's not about the principles. It's about the power. It's about the politics. And if we don't get our way, then it's corrupt. Then the I mean – I, I cite in my column, Jason, a, um, an emailer from the, uh, a PAC supporting the Congressional Black Caucus, and it calls the Supreme Court justices, the six of them, racists. Now, that would include Clarence Thomas, of course, um, which is which is stunning. I mean, what the heck is going on with these people? I mean, are there no limits to what they will say or do to get their way? I mean, that is precisely what the Constitution was about, was about controlling power, limiting power, offsetting power, checks and balances. They don't want any of that. AOC is an ignoramus when it comes to the Constitution. She's talking about judicial review. By whom? By which branch, right? Right. Right. I mean, it, it is unfathomable what these people are thinking and why they why they think that? Where did they get these ideas? Uh, what, what what was Ronald Reagan's great line? It's not that the our, the other side doesn't know very much. It's just what they know is wrong.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love Reagan. Reagan's always good for some good quotes. Um, as we we you know we're turning the corner tomorrow into the Fourth of July. Um, it's kind of an extended holiday for a lot of people. Uh, they're taking you know today off and they got the 4th of July. But, you know, it's a good time to, to think about the flag and our independence. And um, what what are your thoughts? Because you know, I think there's a lot of concern. At least I, I see it from my vantage point. I used to feel like we were always fighting for the same thing. We just had different ways of getting there. But I'm not so sure that's true anymore. And, you know, these issues that have come up through the years, they're not always front and center right now, but standing for the flag and honoring the flag, saying the pledge of allegiance, those types of things. It's amazing to me that we still have discussions in this country about those. So as we go into 4th of July, what are your kind of top level thoughts on that, Michael?
10: Well, I uh, unfortunately I, I I agree with you that w- we we do seem to be in a in an age where there's a kind of anything goes and it's it's not about right or wrong in the sense that there's some neutral place where things are right and things are wrong. It's that whatever I say is right is right. And, you know, you th- th- there are no, I can say whatever I want. I mean, this whole, you know, to me, the best summary of this, Jason, is this whole thing with gender, right? Th- th- that there aren't two genders. Well, wait a minute, who said there aren't? Well, I mean, meta, you know, this kind of thing where you just make it up and then you demand that everybody agree with you, or at least, you know, shut up. Um, and then that becomes a new reality. You've you've created a new, a new kind of human being just by declaring it. Uh, that sort of thing is now running wild in our politics and in our culture. And it it does feel as though we've broken through some level of restraint that. Has has served us well, even if everybody wasn't necessarily happy. Um, there was a, there was a sense that you had to compromise to get along; that that was necessary. I mean, it's certainly necessary in every other part of life. It's necessary in families. It's necessary in places of work and places of worship. There there is a level of compromise inherent in the human condition. It seems to me. But the left doesn't believe that. I mean, they, they believe that, uh, you know, restraint is a form of racism, that compromise is evil. I mean, it's it's a pretty shocking situation we're in, and I'm not sure how we get out of it, except to continue and and to, and to celebrate at moments like this that we have this independence, that we have a Supreme Court that recognizes that, that we have a Supreme Court, sure. I'm sure they're flawed. They're they're individuals. They're human beings. I'm sure they make mistakes, but fundamentally on this issue of the American founding, they are. It seems to me in sync with the founders. They yeah, they yeah. they get the Constitution, and I, I'm afraid that's that's the that's the ace in the hole that conservatives have. And to me, this this was a a great example of how powerful it is how much sense it makes and how it is worth fighting for
3: yeah michael goodwin from the new york post uh sharing some thoughts he's got a new column out he's always got a column out you got to check it out at the new york post uh michael have a wonderful fourth of july and thanks for joining us on the brian kill me joe uh, always a pleasure thank you jason all right, stay with us. we got a lot more to come at the bottom of the hour. We're going to have Tom Holman, Fox News contributor, retired acting ICE director, talking about immigration and a whole lot more. Stay with us on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We got another day of NBA action, and with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet five dollars get two hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you win. Ooh-hoo, we're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more. Only on FanDuel. a talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show
3: hey this is jason chaffetz and filling in for brian and uh appreciate you joining us uh hope you have a chance to check out my podcast at some point um jason in the house it's a fox news podcast uh we just dive a little bit deeper into individuals once a week uh kind of how do they do it how did they become who they became and uh A way to spend you know 30, 40 minutes talking about somebody's background, to people that you see and hear about in the news, and we just dive deeper into you know starting where they they grew up, how they grew up, the stories, the inflection points in their lives. It's really turned out well. We've done over 100 episodes now, so check it out, Jason in the house. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, Wanted to mention something. It's probably not on the top of your radar. It's not necessarily the top of the headlines. But probably will be as impactful as about a lot of things out there. And will create a new controversy. So start to learn and think about phosphate. Phosphate. You may have heard of it before. About 90% of the phosphate that we use in this country is for, or in the world, is for agriculture. Uh, It's critical if you're going to have the world's food supply. Um, And a growing percentage of phosphate is critical for solar panels and batteries. So if you think we're going to move to the Green New Deal or the green energy, um, if you drive a Tesla, which, by the way, we're following that stock, it is zooming today. Um, If you envision a world where you're going to have more electricity, more batteries, more solar panels, that sort of thing, you have to have phosphate. Well, it ends up that in Norway, they have found a massive, massive um, deposit of phosphate. They estimate that there are 50 billion tons of phosphate. Now, just to give you a comparison, the world's biggest deposits of phosphate, 50 billion, if it's true, in Norway, which is friendly to the United States. China has 3.2 billion. Egypt, $2.8 billion, and Algeria, $2.2 billion. So if you want to understand the size and scope of this, $50 billion was just found in Norway. It says uh, in this article, it's coming out of a European source, the news is kind of breaking that this stuff is, is out there and that they found it. Um, it says, it's part of the quote of this article, all these products have been flagged by the European Commission as being, quote, of strategic importance to maintain Europe's status as a global powerhouse in the manufacturing of key technologies for the green and digital transition. True, okay? Here's the battle. Here's the rub. How long is it going to take all of these greenies out there, all the tree huggers, everybody that wanted us to go green, right? All of us that want windmills, all those people that said, Hey, we need solar panels. Hey, we got to get rid of bio, you know, um, products. Uh, We we have to get rid of any carbon-based products. How long is it going to take them to say, but this is a rock. These are rocks. We can't extract them from the earth. The picture at the top of this article is uh, a beautiful scenery. Some water, some rocks, green trees. But how fast will be these greenies say, we can't dig this stuff. We can't mine this stuff. We can't export this stuff because it's natural. It's this circular logic that never, ever makes sense. They just think that things appear out of nowhere and that suddenly stuff just, like they just fundamentally don't understand it. So watch. Let's see how quickly those greenies go after phosphates and say, we can't be mining that. But you have to have it if you think you're going to do solar, if you think you're going to do batteries, if you think you're going to be quote-unquote green, you're going to have to go extract these rocks. And fortunately, Norway has a lot of them. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmead. Stay with us. We've got Tom Homan coming up next.
1: Turns out, a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, our cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers. rooted in goodness.
7: Visit Myers.com today.
3: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation.
11: They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows.
8: We already know that there's a Chinese listening station just across 90 miles of ocean in Cuba. That frustrates the American people, just like the spy balloon frustrated Americans. How about 10,000 Chinese nationals illegally crossing into the United States being released into our country this fiscal year?
3: Some scary words there from uh, Congressman Mark Green, the congressman from uh, the great state of Tennessee, uh, at a press conference a couple weeks ago, highlighting that the problem at the border is not just one of people flowing from Mexico or Guatemala or something like that, but that we have Chinese nationals in mass crossing our border. And what he's talking about for fiscal year 2023, um, those numbers are a 300-plus percent increase in the attempts. Now, those are the numbers that we just know about. Now, the the number is undoubtedly higher. Um, but I want to bring in the subject matter expert on this, somebody who's a good friend, somebody who I really do enjoy interacting with, and that's Tom Homan. Tom Homan uh, is joining us. He is uh Fox News contributor, retired acting ICE director, and he's also a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Tom, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: Hey, thanks for having me.
3: So, again, you know, I remember back in the day going to visit uh, the Eloy Detention Facility, which is uh, near Casa Grande, uh Arizona. And I was struck by the idea that there were something like 150 different nationalities that were there at the detention center. It was not just a, oh, these people are just trying to come up from Mexico type of problem. This is an international deluge of people, and these Chinese nationals coming across our border is something we should be concerned about.
12: Yeah, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I haven't seen the Chinese numbers as high in my entire career, which is almost 35 years. You know, when I was director, we, we deported people to 144 different countries. And what's happening on the border right now, You look at the Border Patrol reports, which I keep my eye on weekly. Uh, since Joe Biden's been president, Border Patrol has arrested people from 171 different countries. Wow. And many responses are terror, um, Jason. I mean, they've arrested people from Syria, Turkey, uh, uh uh, Iran, I mean, this is Russia, uh, and a lot of Chinese. But you're exactly right. He says we don't know what we don't know because as of now, the uh, Biden administration, we have just over 1.8 million known gotaways. These are people caught on video, drone traffic, sensor traffic that we're seeing crossing the border illegally, but they weren't apprehended because the border was so too busy changing diapers, making baby formula, that uh, they got in. Now you got to ask yourself, why did 1.8 million people, get, why 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 not turn yourself into to get processed, get released, get flown to the city of your choice, get work authorization uh, for five to seven years while you're waiting for your court case, and even if you lose your court case with 90% will, no one's looking to remove you because Secretary Mayorkas has told ICE. Being in the country legally on its own isn't enough for you to go seek an arrest. Who would not take advantage of that free giveaway program at a cheaper rate? Who wants to pay more to get away? Those who don't want to be fingerprinted, those that don't want to be vetted, those that are carrying fentanyl, those that are traffickers of women and children, those that are known suspected terrorists. They're the ones. And those carrying fentanyl, they're the ones that don't want to turn themselves in. So that 1.8 million is just scared the hell out of you. If they arrested over 10,000 Chinese, imagine how many have gotten away. I know for a fact I've seen video of Chinese nationals in camouflage coming across that border. And so it's just scared the hell out of everybody. It, it does me. I've done this for a long time. I think this is the biggest national security failure this country has seen since 9-11.
6: Yeah,
3: but, you know, uh... I totally agree with you, except I don't know about the word failure because I think the Biden-Harris-Mayorkas uh, regime, they think it's a success. I mean, not only do they continue to lie to the American people and say the border is closed, but I think this so, is exactly what they set out to do. Because, you know, we, Joe Biden, he went out there and said, oh, of course, we, we, our country our size, of course we can absorb millions of additional people. Of course we can. And then you had places like California and New York who were trying to get people that were non-U.S. citizens, give them the right to vote. And in some municipalities and counties, you can do that. You don't have to be a citizen, and they're allowing them to vote.
12: I agree 100%. When I say national security theory, I mean for this country, for our software. For our safety, I mean, this is a national security for, for every American citizen that, that uh, is, is in this country, What's you're exactly right. I've been saying for two years, this is not mismanagement. This is not incompetence. This is by design. people, need, I just wrote an op-ed for Fox News hit two, a couple of days ago. And I, I talked about this. And not only did they open the border up and bring massive illegal immigration, at the same time, they abolished the ICE mission. Now, you and I both have been saying, we need to abolish ICE. We need to abolish ICE. Now, I said two years ago. They're never going to abolish ICE, but they will abolish the mission, and that's what they have done. In in, in the two years of record, record illegal immigration, ICE has the fewest numbers of arrests and removals in the history of the agency. I mean, I know deportation officers. I still talk to them. They got nothing to do. They're not Mm -hmm. working because they can't arrest. An immigration officer who took an oath to enforce immigration law cannot arrest somebody for being here illegally. Can you believe that?
3: And that's why they know it. That's why they're flowing people through. Explain for people again, and we've talked about this, Tom, you and I, the difference between checking yourself in. Let's say you you're made the journey from China. Uh, we'll use China as an example. Um, and you go to the port of entry and check yourself in as opposed to maybe sneaking in between the ports of entry. What is supposed to happen and what is actually happening?
12: But what's actually happening? I'm glad you asked the question because this administration, you know, John Pierre, you know, she keeps saying what what a great success Myarcus has had with the border because the numbers are down significantly. Look, here's the truth, and people need to know it. Right before the, the Title 42 ended, we are about 10,000 illegal entrants a day, which is a record, a record, historic record. And but after the Title 42, what Myarcus has done is created the CBP One app, and and he's got five different countries that can probe to 30,000 a month. On top of the 30,000 a month they're going pro from the, the four or five different countries, uh, it's also doing a CBP one app. But here's what they're doing they've identified 11 ports of entry, including the Miami airport. They have a quota. Every day got to bring at least 600 illegal aliens to the port of entry, haven't applied for asylum, then release them on pro. So that's 6,000 a day, over 6,000, it's more close to 6,400 a day coming through the port of entry add that to the 3,500 a day coming between the ports of entry that the board was arrested, we're at 9,500 now if you count the gotaways which are around 1,500 a day you're over 10,000 the numbers have not slowed down at all the Biden administration has taken a population of of, of at least 6,000 a day and putting into a port of entry which is illegal 20 states have filed a lawsuit I just hope to god it gets to the courts fast before they before they bring in, you know, another million. But that's what they're doing. It's a shell game. They're lying to the American people. Border numbers aren't down. They simply made illegal immigration legal.
3: Yeah, and it's so fundamentally totally wrong. Now, in the state of Florida, uh, I was the guest host for uh, Maria Bartiromo on Sunday Morning Futures, and we had Ashley Moody, who's the attorney general for the state of Florida on the show, I want to play a clip of this because um, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a piece of legislation. The Florida legislature passed it. Um, Governor signed it, and now it's law as of July 1st making identification um, much more of a requirement for attendance at schools and hospitals and those types of things. Let's listen to her play this clip, please.
13: One of our our laws now, we have to determine who is coming into our hospital system, how we are are managing these costs. Is this for citizens that are paying taxes? Is this for people that are here illegally? We have to account for numbers that are coming through our criminal justice system. And our laws are now designed to identify and account for that. As you know, many of my challenges in courts that have been successful, we've had to show standing. How is this policy affecting Florida? And many times, Uh, It's hard to do because a lot of this has been done under cover of night. It's been done with a lot of smoke and mirrors. In fact, a lot of what's happening now, a lot of their bragging about numbers going down. Look, numbers are not going down. This is a laundering scheme by the Biden administration to shift how they're counting numbers. And the states are trying to address how this is going to impact them.
12: What's your reaction to that? She's the bulldog. I to tell you something. Moody, she's got it right. She's been right for two years. I, I, I respect her greatly. She's 100% correcting everything she says. And the U.S. taxpayers, they, have, they deserve a right to know. Now, look, emergency rooms and hospitals are going to still treat illegal aliens because they're required to by law. But we should know. We should know how much of our money is going for the medical treatment of illegal aliens her, that are here in violation of federal law. How much of our money is for educating children of illegal aliens that are here in violation of federal law? I I agree with, you know, the trauma centers are shutting down across the country. Just in Yuma, the Yuma hospital, just a couple months ago, are are tens of millions of dollars in the hole because they're treating illegal aliens who can't afford to to, to pay. And hospitals say, well, we absorbed the cost. No, they don't. They don't absorb the cost. They pass it on to people who have insurance. That's why insurance premiums are so right. high. That's right. We have a right to know what illegal, what illegal immigration costs this country. And once we if more states would do what Florida did, then I think a lot of Americans would wake up thinking, well, illegal immigration ain't that serious of an issue. Someone just coming to get a better life. That's why that's why we need to keep telling the truth to American people, how illegal immigration affects every town, city, and state in this country. And it affects every American taxpayer. They need to know, they have a right to know. And once they know, I think we'll have more race than hell about having to secure the border and enforce our laws.
3: Yeah. You know, there was a uh, report a couple of weeks ago that said um, that the United States had a a, a housing shortage of roughly 4 million homes. So I'm looking, we have a shortage of 4 million homes and we have how many people that are here illegally. Nobody has ever really pushed the administration to answer the question you come here illegally, how are they what are they supposed to do for food, for shelter, for um, education for uh, health care uh, All of those things cost a lot of money, and it 's not as if we 're talking about five hundred here or two hundred there. We have a massive homelessness problem. We have this massive illegal immigration problem, and we 're talking about millions of people, and you know who gets shut out of the system. Who doesn't get the aid? Who doesn't get the home? Who doesn't get the the help that they need? Veterans, people that come and served our nation honorably, they don't get the help, the care, and the resources. Meanwhile, you come here legally, you get all the benefits. You don't even even with COVID, you didn't have to get a test. You didn't have to wear a mask. You didn't have to do any of these things. And that's the disparate. Treatment. I mean, we're going to be human. We're going to be compassionate. If somebody's hurt, of course we're going to help them at a hospital. Of course we are. We're humans. But to tacitly and to overtly invite these people to come in and participate and be just join the United States of America, we're failing the million-plus people that do come legally and lawfully. We're failing them. You're almost a chump if you do that. We treat these people well, coming across the border as you know, give them all the superior benefits.
12: Well, two points. Last year I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I know the, the NGO called Endeavors that they leased an entire hotel. They were putting the illegal aliens in the hotel at, at three hundred and seventy-four dollars a night. Now, <laughs> I've never stayed in a hotel for three hundred seventy-four dollars cheap, but I've never stayed at a hotel three hundred seventy-four dollars a night. And I, right down the street, about a block away, block and a half away. There's a homeless encampment. I actually stopped there with a couple, a couple of my friends. We talked to a few of them. We ran into four homeless vets sitting on the street, yeah. living in a tent in Phoenix, Arizona. It gets 120 degrees. They didn't get a shower every day. They didn't get three meals a day. But down the street, you have people in the country illegally that are in an air-conditioned room at 370 bucks a night getting three squares a day, a new set of clothes. It's just sickening. And I've actually been working with several pastors out of Chicago they're, they're getting ready to do a, a, a rally this month because the black community in Chicago is sick and tired of the city of Chicago and Illinois spending millions of dollars on illegal aliens that are in, that are in Chicago. Meanwhile, the black community feels like they're abandoned. Yeah. they're not getting the, yeah. they're not even getting half the services that illegal aliens are. So, yes, I think I think the light's shining on this now, and I think more communities are going to start raising hell, which I hope they do.
3: Yeah. Tom Homan Fox News contributor former acting ICE director Heritage Foundation all around good guy and thanks for serving your nation you know this 4th of, 4th of July uh we got a lot of people that listen to this show that work in the border patrol and do you know ICE officers and whatnot I hope you Tom your family everybody else uh they have a wonderful 4th of July appreciate hope they know how much Americans do appreciate what's going on and that uh, so many of them know things have to change. So, Tom Holman, thank you again for joining us on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back.
2: Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: Everything that the whistleblower um, and House Republicans are saying absolutely adds up. And everything that you're hearing from the Department of Justice and the FBI doesn't. It's frankly inconsistent with FBI and DOJ practices, uh, U- U.S. attorney manuals. And I think you know, we're left You know, at this point. It's no longer a question of, not, uh, of whether or not there's corruption. It's who's involved in the corruption.
3: Pretty serious allegations there from John Ratcliffe, somebody who knows, not only was he a former U.S. attorney, a member of Congress on the House Judiciary Committee, where I served with him, but he was also uh, the director of national intelligence, the senior most intelligence officer in our country, Um, talking about corruption, um, not just in the Biden family. What he's talking about is how and how are they complicit within the Department of Justice as a whole? Because you have about 110,000 people that work at the Department of Justice, at least last time I looked, um, and you have an FBI, you have U.S. prosecutors doing things that make absolutely no sense. And what you see is Democrats saying, well, the U.S. attorney uh, for the, the District of Delaware, well, you know, that was a Trump appointee but you hear him also saying well i you know i had full authority but i couldn't have charged in california or in other jurisdictions but i could have done it in dc um i absolutely had the authority but then you have whistleblowers that come up and say very credible whistleblower from the the um uh, internal revenue service saying well uh, we weren't allowed to do our jobs. We were told we could not issue subpoenas. We could not fully investigate this. And that's the serious allegation. You have Joe Biden who's saying as president, um, I never, I've never, never directed anybody on any of this. Although he would go out publicly and say, yeah, my son Hunter, he's, he hasn't done anything wrong. That is a public pronouncement, and it is a warning shot to people that work for him. Um, You also have a attorney general who has a lot of questions to answer because you can't simply say I've had no discussions when the whistleblowers are saying, yeah, you've had discussions and um, somebody along the way is pulling the trigger or not pulling the trigger. So here you have John Radcliffe saying, well, you know, it's just a question of who is involved, not if there is corruption. That's what the United States Congress has to sort out. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. It's been the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you're having a wonderful Fourth of July holiday.
4: Adventure has its own style. It's made of tall trees, unpaved trails, and at the center, the most capable Subaru Forester yet, the 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness. It comes with 9.2 inches of ground clearance paired with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and advanced dual-function X-Mode. Discover adventure on a deeper level, the 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness. To explore all you can do with the rugged Subaru Wilderness family of vehicles, visit Subaru.com slash Wilderness.
7: This episode is brought to you by Been Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use beenverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit beenverified.com slash podcast.
2: Tom Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey,
3: thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade show. Unfortunately, today you got Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. I'm a Fox News contributor. I got a podcast called Jason in the House. Hope you get a chance to check it out. And I have a new book out. It's called The Puppeteers, The People Who Control, The People Who Control America. Uh, three weeks it's now been on the New York times bestseller list. Hope you have a chance to check it out. The puppeteers. And, uh, if you think Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are running the show, whoa! if I get a book for you. So it's called the puppeteers. Hope you have a chance to to check it out. Um we got a good, exciting hour. It's the 4th of July holiday weekend, extended weekend. One of my favorite times of the year. I just I love the red, white, and blue. I love the barbecue and the hot dogs and and the fun and and wherever you're listening, whether you're you're a trucker or you're at home or you're on satellite radio or on the app or whatever it is, thanks for joining us uh on the Brian Kilmead show uh lots to talk about because you know what there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere, and there's always plenty of things to talk about and uh we have a first time guest. Uh, I'm told, uh, to this show, uh, but I'm excited to talk to him. His name is Brandon Weikert. He is uh, a geopolitical analyst, but he's, more importantly, the author of a book. It's called Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Okay, China's Race to Control Life. Interesting topic. Uh, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: Well, uh, thank you uh, for having me on, and thanks for being here on this lovely holiday weekend, Congressman. And um, I, it's a very uh, important topic to talk about because our freedoms are very much imperiled by China's race to control
3: life. Well, tell us, what, 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 why did you write it? But uh, more importantly, as you started the journey of doing the research and you were, you're going along, what, what surprised you the most?
9: Just how in bed with the People's Republic of China, uh, their biotech firms, are? How, how much our government and our academic institutions and our biotech industry is enmeshed and in bed with the Chinese biotech industry, which in China is not a civilian enterprise. It is a military enterprise that is designed, their biotech sector is designed to be used as a bioweapon development program, bioweapons, by the way, that will be deployed against the United States. And as I argue in the book, likely COVID-19 was some form of a bioweapon that was deployed against the United States in 2020.
3: So you think that it was actually deployed, it wasn't an accident. Was there evidence, direct evidence of that? Yeah, so, uh, we can all
9: agree, I think, that Tom Cotton is correct when he says it came from a lab. Now it sounds like Senator Cotton and those that agree with him are saying that it was a leak by accident. However, in the book, I chart a probable scenario of why it was a bioweapon, and I found a 2015 white paper that was written by the top Chinese military scientists who said in that paper that they were going to weaponize coronaviruses to use against the United States to collapse our economy and medical system to affect longer-range strategic and political goals. That's what COVID did to us. They don't want to kill all of us because then we won't be a market to buy their stuff. They just want to put us in our place. And at the time, if you remember, President Trump was waging a very effective trade war against China. And at the time also, there were those pro-democracy protests happening in Hong Kong. Xi Jinping, I think, was looking at those as connected events and was looking to get back at the Americans for what he thought was a regime change attempt, and that's what he did. Was he he deployed this weapon that had these massive destabilizing effects on our political, economic, and social system that we're still dealing with today?
3: Well, that's a a very scary notion that it was if, if it was uh, deployed purposefully as opposed to escaped and. There is quite a stark difference. Nevertheless, it, it you know, that effect did take place, right? I mean, it was devastating Absolutely. to our economy. It did slow us down. And you are right. Explain, talk a little bit more about this because I want, you know, it, it gets lost in, in translation, if you will, sometimes, how there is not private enterprise in China. It's all right. part of the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP is i mean this is the the problem the challenge when we look at Hunter Biden and the deals that the Biden's families yep. were doing in China but aside from that these businesses that go over and want to exploit the the human uh you know labor costs being so low really what they're doing is they're joining at the hip with the communist party of China you can't do it any other way that's right
9: That's right. So in China, they call it MCF, military-civil fusion. It used to be called civil-military fusion, but they changed it around. And I think actually military-civil fusion is a better way to look at it, because everything in China is subordinated to the People's Liberation Army. That's the Chinese military. And so when you look at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where most people who believe in the lab leak theory, such as myself, we believe that it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that was a Chinese military-led facility. In fact, it was built by the French in 2003, and French intelligence tried to get the French firm RTV to stop from building it, but the French firm wanted the money, and so they did it anyway. And the reason French intelligence tried to get the French firm to stop building it is because they said it's going to be used for bioweapons, which is, of course, what it was used for. In fact, when the pandemic erupted in Wuhan, whether it was a lab leak or a a purposeful deployment, the fact is the Chinese military, their lead bioweapons expert, General Chen Wei, who's known in China as the goddess of war, took direct command of the Wuhan Institute of Virology and began deleting the whole database that they had on coronaviruses. And this was specifically because I believe they were trying to cover up the fact that this thing was created in a lab.
3: Interesting. Did you get into the finances at all? You know, we had this discussion, this back and forth from Senator Rand Paul uh, with Dr. Fauci. About, you know, was it funded, was it not funded, was it American taxpayer dollars, was it not taxpayer dollars? What were your findings there, or did you not dive into that?
9: Oh, no, I, I dove in. In fact, Rand Paul is a, is a hero in in the book. I have a whole chapter dedicated to his Herculean efforts uh, to trying to uncover the extent of the, the money train between our government, the NIH, and specifically Fauci's uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, between them and the Chinese government. And what I found was really disturbing, that Rand Paul was just getting to the tip of the iceberg. It goes so much deeper than that. And furthermore, I can make these claims also because I'm married to a geneticist and my wife used to work at the NIH. And the reason this whole project started with me writing it, of uh, this book, was because when COVID erupted and I was briefing the US military, I'm, a, I'm an analyst and I sometimes brief the US government on biotechnology and other geotechnology issues. The military intelligence people were t- using terms like biological 9-11 when I was uh, when I was giving my briefings on biotech in China. And then when I told my wife about what these military people were telling me and I told her the descriptions of the disease, she said, oh, it reminds me of a gain of function test we were doing when I worked at NIH. And so that started this whole sort of process of me investigating and eventuated in this book. But absolutely, I, I, I think that uh, that that Fauci is is. In intricately involved, or intimately rather, involved with funding uh, these these very risky biotech R&D projects in China. Not because he's trying to build bioweapons, but because he was obsessed with getting to cures faster and he wanted to get that Nobel Prize and he wanted to get all the royalties that come with all of those creations. He did not realize His greed got in the way, I think. He did not realize that everything he was giving to the Chinese was being folded into this very sophisticated bioweapons program that the Chinese, I believe, have and certainly will deploy against us. By the way, that Wuhan Institute of Virology is also doing a risky uh, uh, experimentation on smallpox. So that could be the next big thing that we get hit with. That's
3: great. That sounds wonderful. Brandon. But in the appreciate. book, I have solutions
11: <laughs> I, I have the...
9: solutions on how we avoid this. And the first thing is cutting China off from those tech transfers from our biotech sector. That's the key.
3: And what about the, edu- you know, one of the things I worry about, and the book is Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. What well, bothers me, and I don't understand, is why we're being en masse Chinese nationals to the United States. We educate them, then we send them back to China.
9: I agree. I agree. That's a big problem. Our our legal immigration system is, frankly, as messed up as our, you know, our broken border illegal situation is. Um, you know, the biggest issue we have is. We encourage China to send their students, and then, as you say, we don't figure out a way to keep them here. Most Chinese students come here. They want to stay. They don't want to go back home, but we push most of them out. So then they end up taking everything we train them to do back to China, where it then is folded into that military-civil fusion, where basically the military and civilian industries are one, and then they create the next generation, not just innovations to beat us economically, but then they create the next generation. Next-generation weapons that they're going to use to threaten us and kill Americans as well. So it's a big problem that needs to be addressed. That I'm, I'm hopeful the next administration, if we're lucky enough to have a Republican, uh, will be the, the administration that addresses this critical, critical issue.
3: Well, listen, uh, it sounds like a fascinating book. Uh, we're talking to Brandon Weikert, He's uh, the author of Biohacked: China's Race to Control Life. I appreciate you joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: Thank you, Congressman.
3: Well, thank you. we we got a lot more coming up. Stay with us. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift-off. Sleep is on the way
7: at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
2: If
3: you're interested in it,
2: Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmead.
3: Hey, this is Jason Chavitz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. And I want to talk a little bit about the markets and what's going on. And who better to do that than uh, one of our personal favorites here, at least mine, is uh, Fox Business correspondent, Susan Lee. Susan, thanks so much for joining us.
14: Jason, you're too kind, I have to say. What are you up to on this uh, July 4th holiday?
3: Well, look, I'm I'm working, and you're supposedly on Always. vacation, but you know what? Your vacation <laughs> sucks because you're talking to me on the radio.
14: Oh, no, that's great. It sounds awesome to me, <laughs> but I didn't know you were that interested in the markets, and I feel like you actually have a very astute business mind that people do not appreciate.
3: Well, thank you. I'm going to take that compliment. I'm going to to frame it and put it above my my wall here. So thank you. No, you know what I'm fascinated about is this incredible rise of Tesla. I'm looking at Rivian is up 14% today. But Tesla has a market cap approaching $900 billion. They're Mm -hmm. up, at least right now, almost 6.5% just today.
14: Look at you. Yeah. I, you know, so Elon Musk's electric car company had been worth around a trillion dollars previously. So 900000000000 billion, we're getting back up there to the record highs. And they had awesome, I mean, amazing deliveries, record deliveries in the past three months. And, you know, I, I know we always talk very jargonish on Fox Business, and sometimes the average folks don't understand that. But we deliver 466,000 cars in three months. That's amazing. The problem is is how much they're making on each vehicle because Wall Street cares about what they call margins, the amount that you make per Tesla car sold, and that actually affects the stock price. So the fact that Elon Musk had a discount five times – in the first three months of this year to get people to buy and order and that demand to go up for Tesla cars. That's a little bit of a concern, but right now the stock is just, uh, I think it's reacting to those delivery numbers and the fact that everybody's using the Tesla charging standards now. So Elon Musk has kind of won that battle.
3: Yeah, Reuters has a story out uh, about 20 minutes ago where Kentucky is now mandating that Tesla's charging plug for state-backed charging stations that it all goes they're just going to roll the table right tesla is going to be the market owner essentially of the charging stations and plugs right
14: yeah so think of vhs versus betamax back in the 1980s i i, I wasn't around then but i was told that that was a hot late topic.
3: all right that was i, I was there for that <laughs> i experienced that i i went to blockbuster i did oh, the i w- Mailed my Netflix in to get my next Netflix. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks for rubbing that in. You were off VHS, to such a good start, and now we're yeah, off but... talking about how old I am. But,
11: yeah, go ahead.
14: No, not you specifically, but I'm saying that VHS <laughs> eventually won that battle, and then subsequently went to CDs, and now we're on to streaming and Netflix. But the point is, if you win that battle of standards, that you can you have a lot of control over the industry itself. So it's not, Rivian today announced that they were also adopting the Tesla charging standards. Ford, GM has done that. Lucid. So I think Elon Musk, in many ways, has kind of already won the electric car race, at least for the next 5, 10 years or so.
3: Yeah, it truly is amazing. I mean, he is perhaps the greatest, um, you know, business story, at least, I mean, it, you could argue about computers and phones. But what Elon Musk <laughs> is doing with SpaceX and Tesla is just <laughs> PayPal, I mean, it's just a pretty amazing history. Um, The other news that's out uh, that we talked about earlier, which I think is fascinating, is in Norway, they found this massive reserve of phosphates, which are used in solar panels, are used in batteries. The overwhelming majority is used in agriculture. But finally, we have this massive reserve in a country that's favorable to the United
5: States.
14: Yeah, but also Norway is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. They have a very small population of just a few million, but they also have one of the most expensive and some would say most uh, lucrative oil reserves in the in the world, and that's why they have a trillion-dollar sovereign wealth fund. That means the small population of a few million right. have access to a trillion dollars in capital. So when I read the story this morning that you were interested in, I was like, wow, Norway has – I didn't know they had so many proven – natural resources, not just oil, but now phosphate. And we know that China owns most of the lithium in the world. And lithium is what goes primarily as the main source of, um, of uh, shall we say, metal that goes into car batteries, electric car batteries. And so in many ways, China kind of controls a lot of the electric right. car race with their, their deposits of lithium. But the fact that Norway now has of the largest phosphate reserves i mean that country's only getting richer i think we should all move there
3: i I gotta figure out if i have a relative that uh, (laughs) owns some land and and i've been to norway it's one of the most beautiful parts of the world it is absolutely gorgeous and this is the battle i think it's going to rage is um how much are they going to be able to extract you know the same people that want to lock down all the fossil fuels if you're going to extract rocks and process um, phosphates, are they going to take that same attitude? Because you have to actually develop the windmills and the solar panels and the batteries. And -hmm. if you don't have phosphate, you can't get from here to there.
14: Yeah, and also just, uh, again, I am such a business-minded person. I always think about profit margins, (laughs) and the people that own the actual metals, lithium, phosphate, you make software margins off owning natural resources. Isn't that unbelievable? So you make 40 to 50% more off the actual cost of getting the lithium out of the ground and the phosphates. So I guess I see it as a very lucrative business, especially with the adoption of EVs in the future.
3: Well, it, the markets are absolutely fascinating. And, you know, what's <laughs> going on here? We we love watching you on Fox Business. You're just I love it when you get to when you're interviewing somebody and that smile on your face. I just love it. It's great. You ask good probing questions and you understand the markets. And it's so kind of you to join us on a vacation day. So thanks for letting me catch you on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do appreciate it. Yeah, and
14: sitting in my Tesla car talking to you about Tesla. So I was like, (laughs) yeah, that all makes sense.
3: All right, fair (laughs) enough. Uh, Enjoy the great 4th of July weekend. And everybody stay with us because we got more of the Brian Kilmeade Show coming up. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian, and uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like UGG, Samsung, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. That's Rakuten.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Mr. President, why did you give millions of borrowers false hope? You have dated, doubted your own authority here in the past.
10: I didn't give any false hope. The question was whether or not I would do even more than was requested. What I did I thought was appropriate and was able to be done and would get done. I didn't give borrowers false hope, but the Republicans snatched away hope that they were given, and it's
3: real, real hope. That was uh, President Joe Biden responding to Jackie Heinrich's uh, question about false hope Um, snatched away by Republicans was what the very agitated, especially if you watch the video, he's agitated, uh, Joe Biden says in response, but really it had to do with the Supreme Court ruling because, you know, Mr. President, what you did didn't fit with the Constitution, in fact, in one of those uh, parts of the ruling, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the former Speaker of the House, even said, we just don't have the authority to, to have a president do that unilaterally, have to pass legislation. And uh, that was backed up by SCOTUS. In fact, they, they, uh, they actually cited that. Um, they cited the, the uh, I believe it was Justice Gorsuch that did that. But here to talk some more about uh, the happenings of SCOTUS and other things is uh, Mark Smith, constitutional attorney, member of the U.S. Supreme Court Bar. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
11: Hey, Jason, thanks for having me on. Happy Fourth of July to you and everyone listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
3: What do you take of Joe Biden's, uh, President Biden's response here, that this was snatched away the hope that was given uh, that Republicans did that?
11: Well, obviously, this was done by Joe Biden. Remember, we know how this law works. It's called the United States Constitution. The Congress creates the law, the president enforces the law, and the courts interpret the law. That's how the three branches of government work. Here you have Joe Biden taking a page out of the playbook of Barack Obama that says, all I need as president is a pen and a phone to govern. But that- obviously, that's not true under the Constitution. So here we have Joe Biden saying, I am the president. I am going to waive almost $450 billion, give away as the president to my constituents, as I see it, my base. And I don't care what Congress has to say, even though they're responsible for tax and spending policies in America. And he went out and did it, and he was just hoping – now, keep in mind, Jason, the timeline is very important here. When did Joe Biden make this announcement and do this policy? He did it in the middle of August of 2022, knowing full well that by the time November 2022 came along for the midterms, the U.S. Supreme Court would simply not have the time to weigh in on this obviously unconstitutional policy policy. So he says, hey, I'll get the political benefits in November 2022 with the midterm election. And by the the time the Supreme Court gets around to knocking this out, the midterms will be over and I will control the Senate and the House. So he thought and uh, that was the plan. But of course, the Supreme Court just stepped up and said, look, obviously, Mr. President, you can't do this. You know, you can't do this and uh, you can't do this. And that's what the ruling said.
3: You know, I I served in Congress uh, for a plus years and um that was the strategy that i saw president obama employ many many times just do it and it'll take years for the courts to unravel it and who knows we might get lucky we may get may, may able may be able to keep something in place i saw that happen with the health care laws and like whoa hey we actually won that one you know and uh Throw the spaghetti up on the wall, see what sticks, and hopefully they get something. That's been the strategy. I think you're exactly right.
11: Yeah, not only is it the strategy, it's also, frankly, the ideology of many on the left, including, I suspect, Joe Biden, which is they actually don't like the U.S. Constitution, right? I mean, isn't that what's really going on here? Even though everyone in Congress, as you well know, Jason, everyone in Congress, everyone is a judge, uh, every politician, every president has to swear an oath up- to uphold the U.S. Constitution. But the reality is the left hates the Constitution because they want to live in a world where the Hunger Games is really a form of a documentary, right? Where five cities in this country, New York, D.C., Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, they get to determine where America goes, just like London gets to decide where the United Kingdom goes. And they want to live in a world where five cities control this country. That's why they don't like the electoral college. That's why they don't like the separation of powers in the Constitution. That's why they don't like things like the filibuster. They want power in the hands of a few people to tell us all what to do, converting you and I, Jason, from citizens into serfs and subjects. And that is their goal that also plays into other policies that I see it, like taking away our right to bear arms and you know, infringing on our private property rights and so on and so on. So yeah, at the end of the day, not only is it a strategy that, hey, we could do a lot of unconstitutional things, and maybe the courts will uphold it, maybe something will change and we'll slide it by like we did with Obamacare, or alternative, we're just conveying the fact that we don't like the Constitution. It should change. It should go away. And again, we want to rule as lords uh, from capital cities over the rest of the country.
3: Well, one of those cities you mentioned is New York City. And one of the representatives there is uh, the representative Ocasio-Cortez. Let's get her take on this in cut 13.
0: We have justices saying that the Supreme Court is going themselves much too far. They are expanding their role into acting as though they are Congress itself. We really must be focusing on the danger of this court and the abuse of power in this court. The Supreme Court has not been receiving the adequate oversight necessary in order to preserve their own legitimacy.
3: (laughs) Break that down for us because that is chock full of some, whoa, really interesting perspectives.
11: Well it's very interesting. The way to think about the Supreme Court today, Jason, as I see it is this. Is really what we're doing is we're going in a form of a restoration of the Constitution. For many decades, the U.S. Supreme Court was a policy-making arm of the Democratic Party. For example, when they could not get abortion through in the 70s, through the democratic process, the Supreme Court gave them the political victory. Likewise with gay marriage, when you had many states passing constitutional amendments, you had uh, the Defense of Marriage Act and so on and so on against gay marriage when this was raised with the American people. But yet again, what happened is when eventually got passed to the US Supreme Court that said that gay marriage was a fundamental you know was a constitutional right. So what's what's happening here, Jason, is that the left is very angry today that this Supreme Court is following the text of the Constitution, the original understanding of the Constitution, they are no longer serving as a super legislature over and above the democratic processes of this country, so that if the liberals lose in various political issues in the states or in Congress. They just go to the Supreme Court to get their win there. That is no longer an available option for the left in this country because the Supreme Court is focused on restoring the Constitution, restoring constitutional government to the way it was before the last 50-plus years of radical left-wing judicial activism on the part of so many uh, you know, of those Supreme Courts that gave us so many things that, frankly, are not found in the Constitution. The Constitution is a very simple document. It's only a few thousand words. Anyone can read it. And now we have a... And the IRS code, for example, Jason, that is orders of magnitude uh, larger than the Constitution itself that governs right. our country.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to get your take on uh, these comments that came off across on MSNBC. This is Andrew Weissman talking uh, the former U.S attorney cut 14. In this country, you cannot bring
11: a case that is a hypothetical. You can't say to the court, you know, here's a situation I'm thinking of in my mind. Can you give me a ruling on what you would do? You need to have something called a case or controversy. There has to be a real dispute. And the thing that's so amazing about this case is that this is somebody who there was no real issue. There was no complaint. This wasn't even somebody who had opened up a business. This was somebody who said, hey, I'm thinking I might open a business, and I'm thinking that I might want to discriminate against um, same-sex marriage couples.
3: So that's the, the question about the ruling on the LGBTQ case that also came out at the end of the session. What's your reaction to what uh, Andrew Weissman said?
11: Yeah, no, I don't think any of it matters. The truth is that you had a situation. <laughs> a summary a right simple. there. We could
3: just full yeah. stop right there, but go that's ahead.
11: That's right. It it doesn't, because there's two things that go on with a constitutional case, Jason, right, as you know. You have the procedural posture, how things are processed as a case, and you have the substance. Here you had a woman, and by the way, these facts, as I understood it, were stipulated by the state. In other words, there's no, these arguments that are being made about this case being moot or whatnot, uh, these weren't arguments that were laser-focused or discussed during the case itself, and why not? Probably because it wasn't an issue, obviously, but the reality is this. You have a law here in, in Colorado that says that if you have a business open to the public. You basically cannot discriminate on the basis of various things, including sexual orientation. That's effectively what the law said. You have a woman here that says, I want to open up a web design business that makes me an artist. I have to use creativity. I have a law on the books that immediately applies to me as soon as I open up, and I want to be crystal clear right up front that to the extent this comes up... I don't have to uh, do anything that's inconsistent with my First Amendment right to free speech, which the right to free speech, Jason, includes not just the right to speak out as I see fit. It also includes the right not to speak out about things I disagree with. Right. She brought what's known as a pre-enforcement action, and uh, procedurally, that is a case of controversy. There's longstanding precedents for this. And, uh, you know, this kind of argument about, hey, it was moot or something, you know, well, if it was so uh, such an important hot topic, it should be brought up by the parties. Because remember, the parties are the one to set the tone and make the case before the courts, uh, not the media. And again, no one in the Supreme Court seemed to think this was an issue. And again, the law's on the books. It said what it said. She said, this is going to apply to me, and I don't want to be, have to do this. Uh, straightforward constitutional law, I don't think it's a problem, although it's a fun media talking point. At the end of the day, legally, I don't think it matters at all.
3: Well, between that case, the affirmative action case, the student loan dis- decisions, Um, a, A lot of people thought the court was, you know, finally and rightfully making just good, solid decisions. Let's go to cut 11. This is President, former President Donald Trump.
8: We appointed
10: nearly 300 federal judges and three great Supreme Court justices. And this week, those justices ruled to move our country forward with a merit based system of education. How big is that? Isn't that big? Isn't that great? The Supreme Court also ruled that President Biden is not allowed to wipe out hundreds and hundreds of billions, probably trillions of dollars in student loan debt, which would have been very unfair to the millions and millions of people who have paid their debt through hard work and diligence.
3: Uh, we only have a minute or so left, but give us your thoughts on the affirmative action case that the the uh, court ruled on as well.
11: Well, race discrimination is clearly outlawed under the Fourteenth Amendment, and race discrimination is clearly outlawed under various federal statutes. So, all this case really did is to say, look, if you ran a business and you discriminated on the basis of race, you would be sued out of out of existence. Universities are not exempt from these very basic federal laws in the Constitution that says you can't discriminate on the basis of the immutable characteristic of race. And it's time for the universities to get in line with the rest of the country. They cannot use the word diversity as some sort of exemption from all these laws. That's all the Supreme Court said, which makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, again, it goes back to my point. The Supreme Court is just trying to bring these laws into line with where they never should have left. And uh, race discrimination is wrong in all of its forms, including at the university level. And that's all the Supreme Court said
3: yeah no it's it, it I really do appreciate you joining us on the on the Brian Kilmeade show uh, Mark Smith a constitutional attorney a member of the U.S. Supreme Court bar and uh, appreciate your perspective and I uh, hope you have a wonderful Fourth of July holiday thank you Jason talk to you soon all right stay with us I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade we'll be back right after this
2: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: It's not just a whistleblower in this case, it's multiple whistleblowers whose testimony is now corroborated by their own documents as well as the documents that, that the House Republicans have obtained under the threat of, uh, contempt proceedings or even impeachment proceedings against the attorney general and the FBI director. And the result of all that shows, shows, you know, the facts surrounding this tragic figure of, of Hunter Biden, um, receiving somewhere between 10 and $40 million along with the president's brother, uh, daughter-in-law and grandchildren from entities associated with adversaries like the Chinese communist party. That's John Ratcliffe, the former
3: director of national intelligence, former U.S. attorney who prosecuted uh, terrorism cases. He was also a member of the House Judiciary Committee where I served with him. But I got to tell you, folks, this is a massive scandal. It is corruption at its highest level. And as James Comer has called it, it is a criminal enterprise that was running uh, amok there leveraging the position of vice president of the United States. Um, and that's the allegation. And, um, you know, James Comer has done a fabulous job. I think is the chairman of the house oversight committee um, getting to the facts. Uh, we do need to hear from the whistleblowers. We do need to hear from the prosecutors because it does appear as if uh, the Bidens have had some very favorable treatment, the charges against uh, Hunter Biden, there's going to be a, some pressure, I don't know if it's nearly enough for the court to not accept the plea deal. Um, and that case is being put together. I'm not sure when the timing of that case, uh, will be heard by the judge, but the plea deal, deal, uh, isn't necessarily acceptable to a judge. And I think that's going to be a fascinating moment. Does this person, does this judge actually have the political fortitude, the political guts to look at this and say, no, you didn't look deep enough. And that the creativity that the U.S. attorney had in coming up with a plea deal that is unlike any other gun charge that <laughs> the Department of Justice, people who have actually done it, like John Ratcliffe, have looked at. Um, and did they, did the whistleblowers actually... Their um, case at the IRS, were they allowed to do their job? I think clearly you've seen enough interviews um, uh, with uh, Mr. Shapley, who is their very credible witness. I saw him on special report with Brett Baer talking about all of these issues. There is a lot more to this story. And for the president, for the attorney general to say routinely, continuously that, Nobody impeded the U.S. attorney's ability to do their job. I think we're going to find that the answer to that question is emphatically, no, that's not true. And you have whistleblowers, as John Radcliffe just pointed out, multiple, that say between their personal testimony and the documents, they were not allowed to do that. That's the concern. We need equal justice. And I'm tired of the Democrats always saying, Oh, nobody's above the law. Really? Well, if you really believe that, then you would support what Republicans are calling for for a full investigation. Um, listen, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've been filling in for Brian Kilmead. It's the holiday weekend. Love doing this. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Brian kilmead has got a great and wonderful staff that makes it uh, that much easier to do it. Um, I hope you have a chance to check out my podcast. It's called Jason in the House. Just type in Jason in the House anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you should be able to find it. a little different format. I get to spend 40 minutes with somebody diving into their background and how they achieved what they were able to achieve. I also have a new book out. It's called The Puppeteers, three weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. The Puppeteers, Who Controls, Who Controls America? And uh, if you really want to get some insight as to how America works, who's really pulling the levers, the puppeteers. I recorded the audio, you can do the ebook, and of course the hardcover is available. Again, I'm Jason Chavitz. Thanks to Brian Kilmeade for allowing me to sit in on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for joining us. Really do appreciate it.